Welcome to Breaking Form, a podcast of poetry and culture. I'm Aaron Smith. And I am James Allen Hall. For those uh, listening for the first time, uh, we do this show in segments. We do literary games. We revisit books that we love. We gossip. We do. We interview. We shade. We laugh. And we are not for everyone. It's the final countdown. (laughs) (laughs) You are so embarrassed on my behalf. This is is like a weird HBO show. I love it. I love awkward. It's like we're down to like the what five days it we're at the four at five golden rings five golden <laughs> cock rings five golden cock rings. you knew i was going to say it <laughs> well, i knew you were going to say it so i had to beat you to it but thank you if you <sighs> listen to numbers 10 through 10 through 6 now we're going to finish the countdown and we're on number five so james what's your number five uh, my number five is post-colonial love poem by mm. natalie diaz yes um, I, I just think she hit something so incredible in that book, um, turning, uh, love poetry into cultural critique. Um, mm-hmm. and here's, here's, um, just, a one stanza from a poem called, uh, Minotaur. I obey what I don't understand. Then I become it, which needs no understanding. The astonishment of my body's limits how it is easily divided by a black field and the black field multiplied in stars. The throng of a lover constellating. I think it's so lovely. I feel like with this book too, she just stepped into, like she she waited a while to publish, right? In between books, I, I feel like, and it's like, it was yeah. worth the wait. It's like, she just, just dove into this, just, just amazing space. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not articulating it well, but I think what you read articulates it for (laughs) what needs to be articulated. I think that it, I mean, when I encountered this book, it was hard for me to articulate it too, because the Mm -hmm. book just, the book is, it just hits your mind and opens it. The Mm -hmm. aperture of your thinking is expanded by this book. That's the only way I can really describe it. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was incredible. So mine, th- this was a book that I, I was on sabbatical in the spring, and I was reading the complete poems of Anne Sexton. Oh. And it makes me happy. And I actually, it was so weird. I've written about this. My, I, I had not dreamed about my mom after she died. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about my mom today. So I'm sorry. Our New Year's show is a little heavy. But no, okay. <laughs> yeah, for people, it's like, great. I Let's mean, I like- also <laughs> put on two memoirs of two yes. people who lost their mother. That is right? true. You did kind of, I mean, I'd already been thinking about it, but then, but you had said, has your mom visited you in dreams? And I was like, no. And I felt like, oh my God, like, you know, my sister has been dreaming about her a lot, like multifaceted, like they have arguments and it just doesn't happen for me. And then the very night, the day you said it, that very night I dreamed about my mom and we were in this huge library and she came over. She's like, I can't hug you for very long because I'm dead. And she hugged me and walked away. And then like, I was devastated. And then someone was hugging me, like wearing like the security coat kind of thing in like a museum or library. I shit you not, I'm not saying this for the show. It was Anne Saxton. <laughs> no, you told me this dream I know. when it happened. Yeah. And I was like, wow. You know, and it seems, I know it's ridiculous, but I, 
I've only dreamed about my mom maybe once or twice since then. And she died in 2019. It's just, yeah. I don't know. It's very weird, but you said that it's like, oh no, here's a visitation. I just know you don't want to think about it all the time. <laughs> and here's and was, a, I brought Anne along, you know. <laughs> and what was freaky was that you told me about that. And I was like, I was reading um Anne Sexton's poems uh just yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I carted around um the complete, uh, but I also have a word document. <laughs> I I love that. And I, I've been thinking a lot about since we interviewed David Trinidad, which you all will get to hear, this will come out before David's interview and talking about how he thought Anne Sexton's whole life was sort of like the fact that she couldn't get past her atheism, like she was exiled from God. And like, that's, I get that. Like that's, that stuff speaks to me. I grew up with that, you know, ugliness of that religion. And so anytime you see someone grappling and, and doing it, but she's just, I just think also her her language just stuns me. I love I love that book. Um, my number four is uh, a book I taught this semester um, and was released in 2019. It's Dispatch by Cameron Awkward Rich. Mm. It won the Lexi Rudnitsky Editor's Choice Award, published by Persea. Um, it's just a book with such fierce lyricism in the face of violence towards black and non cis het bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's formally rich and inventive. I particularly love this poem. You would like this a lot if you haven't mm-hmm. read the book. It's a there's this notice that's reprinted in the book. It's a a notice like a I guess from a newspaper, the New Orleans Times Picayune from November 25th, 1903, titled "Male Impersonator." And it's basically about the punishment this person was given, including jail time and a hefty fine. Mm. And then the poem, Cameron Awkward Rich's poem, uses the the words of the report to construct a liberatory narrative. It's like, it's just incredible. It like Mm. explodes the report. Like the, the poem proceeds over the next three or four pages, just all spaced out over the page, just one word or two words per line. It's really just incredible. It's one of the most exciting, like, I don't know how new he, he may have been writing for decades. I don't, but you know, this sort of like couple books, I think just yeah, one of the most exciting book. poets, I think to emerge recently. I think he just won a Lannan, right? I think he won a Lannan. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. With Eduardo, with Eduardo. Mm-hmm. They both, not with, but I know both of them won this year, I guess, or yeah. Yeah, that was an exciting list of Lannan winners, I thought. It's very cool. So yeah, I, I love that you picked that. I'm wondering if my number four is somewhere on your list too. This would be the only thing that I think would cross over. Oh. It is a book of essays and you know it, and I know you love it. Funny Weather, Art in an Emergency by Olivia Lang. Is it on your list? It is number one on my list. Oh no! Well, you know Yay. what? Then I then I'm going to wait and let you speak about it because I just sort of have like just a little bit like what it's about. But I no, want you to no. Why don't you say? Your well, we both four? can. No, yeah. It's, okay. Yeah, it's totally fine. Well, mine's a little bit more like just kind of what it's about. Where you'll probably have a beautiful line picked out. But I'm like, she profiles Basquiat and Georgia O'Keeffe and Maggie Nelson and Sally Rooney. She writes love letters to David Bowie and Freddie Mercury and explores loneliness and technology, women and alcohol, sex and the body. She's also also in love with the gay filmmaker Derek Jarman, which I think is such an interesting influence for her. Um, and it says on the description, with characteristic originality and compassion, she celebrates art as a force of resistance and repair, an antidote to a frightening political time. Um, so my number three is a book I think I recommended to you too, um, very pretty recently. It came out maybe in the last two months. 
no doubt I will return a different man by Tobias Ray. Mm. Uh, it's a book of poems from Cleveland State University Poetry Center Press. It won their 2020 Lighthouse Poetry Series competition chosen by a friend of yours, Randall Mann. Mm. Um, I'd say a friend of mine too. Like I, yeah. you know, I say, I'd he say said Randy he's looking say hi. He said he's looking forward to this mess of a podcast and i said we're i said we're messier than the reboot of sex in the city i was like so come on in <laughs> which hasn't even been released yet. and we you know, know it's, it's going to be, be delicious yes uh, yeah um, it'll be on our list next year <laughs> yeah. i i'm just not sure about anyway whatever we no, i even but, if it's bad i'll love it yeah um so in this book uh no doubt i will return a different man which is um a slight revision of a line that Alan Turing wrote in a letter. It's book concerns Alan Turing a little bit. Alan Turing, of course, was like the father of computer science. And he was also a gay man who was like prosecuted. And chemically castrated, correct? He chose chemical chemical castration in 1952 Mm. rather than go to prison. And he died from an apparent um, self-poisoning um in 1954 Mm. yeah it's a very sad story he was pardoned gosh not not that long ago in the last 10 years or so great it really helps now (laughs) really helpful thank you um god i think that's like the epitome of virtue signaling (laughs) yeah right it's like great like when they finally like the catholic church finally like pardoned galileo like um galileo is probably giving you the finger and the in the nothingness of yeah, the afterworld right. yeah yeah right yeah right from the sun um yeah yeah he also ray writes about like queer legacies including aids and he has there's this father figure that he also contends with in the book mm-hmm. uh, is i think the father like the personas or the speaker's father mm-hmm. um who i think did some really um terrible traumatic stuff to other Mm. people um he here's a little bit of this sort of a longer poem uh called each of us chimera he writes about his mother's gays his mother's his mother had a gay cousin named larry I thought you were going to say G-A-Z-E, like her gaze. Her gaze. <laughs> yeah, oh, her gaze. No. Yeah. Okay. No. His mother had this gay cousin named Larry who died of complications due to AIDS. Okay. Um, and she takes him to see his grave. And he writes, Beyond Sentiment, July 1989. Nothing to do with AIDS. Nothing to do with ghosts. Those flimsy fads. Nothing to do with wanting someone to have gone before and come back. Even epitaphs lose, can lose their certainty. It's a lovely book. It's just mm-hmm. really beautifully written. Um, and I, I loved it. That's amazing. I, I saw a meme go across on World AIDS Day on Instagram, and it was something, you know, I'm just paraphrasing. It was like, the men who died did the same thing you did. They did what you do in bed. So it's basically like, you know, you can think it's this other thing, but they were, they did and did the same things you are doing and will continue to do. That's all they were doing. And they, you know, because the government turned its face away that, you know, they had to die and they're no different, which I thought was powerful. And I also have been seeing a lot of things on obviously the, the abortion, uh, you know, attack and, 
And I love that a woman sent across a, a meme that also said, you can have an abortion just because you don't want to be a mother. Like your life doesn't have to be in danger. And I just thought that's so true. Like, you know, we don't have to always like come penitent, you know, for having a body or sex or anything. And I just thought that was great. So those are two things that have kind of stuck with me and maybe I'll cut them. Maybe they don't go in this conversation, but they felt, I don't know. I was just thinking too about, I mean, being in a pandemic, right? Like this Mm -hmm. is the second one that you and I have experienced in our lives. And Mm -hmm. the first one, like I remember getting uh, my my first Moderna shot vaccine in a Walmart, and I hate mm-hmm. Walmart. Like yeah. I hate Walmart, but mm-hmm. I would have gotten the vaccine at the Charles Manson School for Girls. I would have I focused I on the I family's gone, headquarters. <laughs> I would have gone anywhere to get. But as I was like waiting, you know, after you get the the shot, you have to like wait ten minutes or something. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um. So your throat doesn't close up, and believe me, my throat never <laughs> closes up. Oh. That would that would be a national crisis. <laughs> Check. Um. But so I was sitting. I was like standing there among the depilatories mm-hmm. uh, in the depilatory aisle at Walmart and thinking <laughs> like if this pandemic had hit gay men, like the AIDS pandemic did, would science have moved this? No, fast? no, no. And it just like made me so sad to think of all the waste, all the mm-hmm. lives that were just completely, I don't know, plowed over by. And I, I blame this on straight people. Like they had a straight pride parade in Boston and then this play again. <laughs> so, so you think those are connected? They would say that about gay men. All you gay men caused this by your lifestyle. Do you remember so that? Like great fucking pride parade is why we have this global pandemic. Shame on you and your sexuality. I remember <laughs> Dirty. Uh, in the in the early maybe it was late 80s, early 90s when Designing Women was on and they had mm-hmm. a like an AIDS they were designing a gay man's funeral because he was mm. going to die of AIDS. Yeah. And I remember like this other client was there while, while he, he was in and this woman said, Oh, well, I don't know much about this disease, but it's killing all the right people. And of course, Julia had to, she, she said something like, Oh honey, like I've known you since college. If, if this were, if this were a, punishment about like sexual transmitted diseases you would be the first to go gone <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> I, I remember i remember being in the car with my dad and my sister and my mom had gone into the grocery store and there was listen he was listening to radio news and it was talking about um a gay pride parade in new york city and dad just just as casually you know i was a little kid was like wouldn't it be fun to go up there and just hold a sign up that says hooray for aids and like, I, you know, didn't even really know, but then later I would see men on TV and I'm like, oh, I have those same feelings, even though I was like six, so that must mean I'm going to get gay cancer. Yeah. So that wow. stuff sticks. It stays. Oh, yeah. I mean, even my mom who, you know, I had gay friends and like, you know, I don't know how she did this math, but like when my brother came out, she thought, oh, gay equals AIDS. And so the, the, you know, the, the compassionate thing to do would be to save my brother from that horrible death and kill him and then kill herself. Yeah. It's just, just insane. Like how, mm. how that, um, I don't know that, yeah. that hatred, yeah. homophobia, like gets into the groundwater. Welcome to our new year's. 
our new years into the year, like how we got through it. We barely got through it, girls, what it sounds like. <laughs> Nobody said that we got through sur- survival is the point. Yeah. It's the celebration. 100%. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And like, and I feel like anybody. I came the, finding these things and having these things to be yeah. there when I, when I did them is like yeah. amazing. So right. this next one will, will brighten yes. things up a little bit. Oh, and good. I will be judged. And I, you know what? My 40s are for like, I resist your judgment. They're for blocking and saying, fuck it. What got me through shame transaction. I love when you say that. (laughs) I resist your same transaction. Number three on my list is Taylor Swift, especially Folklore and Evermore. And now Red, I'm telling you, her songs are smart and yeah. And I love a 10 minute. I, I love a 10 minute dish song. <laughs> I'm there. I am here for it. Every fucking detail about that alleged Jake Gyllenhaal affair. I am here for it. <laughs> I am here for it too. You know, I love that song. Yes. Um, my number two, are you ready for it? Yes. Okay. It is contemporary American poetry uh, by it, by John Mario. Uh, released mm. by Four Way Books in 2020, and it's contemporary with a K, an American with a K. It's just he's just such a gifted lyrical poet who uses narrative like to connect these really intense moments um, mm-hmm. of feeling. The poems feel like effortlessly cool. Mm. Uh, there's a really great crown of sonnets in the book called a, a Refusal to Mourn the Deaths by Gunfire of Three Men in Brooklyn. Uh, mm. That poem also won a pushcart. Um, wow. And here are some lines from his poem on lyric narrative. My wife almost wakes. I pull her close, then drift. If everyone in a dream, as I read once, represents the dreamer, what was my father trying to tell me? When am I the gun runner? When am I the wind? When the snow, the moon, or the switchblades glint. I love that great. poem. That's yeah, great. he's such a good, good poet. Yeah, I, yeah. I hope this book get, look, wins everything. I almost put Karen Slaughter's novel. It's like she's a, a thriller writer, The Silent Wife on here. I think it's so good. And I sent it to a former colleague, who's like an expert in British literature and teaches just, he's brilliant. And he wrote me, I sent it to him for his birthday and he wrote back. He's like, thank you for introducing me to Karen Slaughter. I think that she is a fantastic novelist. And I felt so like like validated because I love it so much. And this, what are you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, I think Karen Slaughter would be a great drag queen name. hundred <laughs> percent. Karen Sarah. Slaughter, your whole. <laughs> <laughs> just like it's the way where, you know, where Karen has gone. Yeah. Oh, years, totally. Right? Like, yeah. yeah. Like the slaughter of Karens. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great, like a murder of crows, a slaughter of Karens. <laughs> That's what we're going to call this episode, Slaughter of Karen. They're all magpies. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. So, but please do not enact violence toward anyone named Karen. So we're yeah. just putting that disclaimer no. out there. You can, right. you know, you can, nothing. I was going to say. Don't do that either. I'm, I'm going to um, beep that and leave it because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have a, an aunt named Karen. Don't do that to her. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that 
Karen Slaughter ties in to part of my next. I, I squeezed a couple oh, in. I so see. number two podcast really have been huge for me, starting with Crime Junkies. I love a true crime podcast. I felt very complicated listening to these stories about you know people being hurt, sometimes violently. But Crime Junkies actually takes it to like trying to find people and telling stories. Then I'm obsessed with Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard and Monica Padman. Okay, whatever you've ever thought about Dax Shepard and punked and all of that, he's really fucking smart. And he has like on Monday, they have a celebrity and Thursday have like an expert and they have people talking about economics and, and different kinds of theory and scientists. And he keeps up. I mean, question by question, he keeps up and he's so smart and it makes me so happy. And I just found a new podcast called gayish. And those are my top three and gayish has a different topic each week. Like one week was jerking off and then one week was share and they sort of play, they say, be butch, be fabulous, be yourself. So oh. those are sort of my, my podcast. Um, I'm obsessed with them. I think that I should do my number one since we know okay. what yours is and then you and I yeah. both love your number one. So maybe it's worth doing your sure. last. Okay. Yeah. So my number one, this it's a it's a book and it got me through and it's probably going to be surprising, but the book is called Greco Disco, The Art and Design of Luke Edward Hall. He's a British artist and designer, and he was born in 1989 and started his own design studio when he was 26. And the description, drawings of stylish, artful gentlemen, romantic tablescapes, and fashion collaborations are just some of the results of all of his brainstorming. And in Greco Disco, his magical universe at home and beyond can be soaked up and enjoyed as a whole. Our personal space is an extension of our work, he says. There's no boundary between this and what we make and put out in the world, and that's from Domino magazine. I own the monograph. And then I was like, okay, I want to cut some of these images out. I want to put them in a journal. I want to put them in a, in a book, you know, like a collage myself. So I bought a second copy and I thought I'm going to give myself permission to like cut into this book and I still can't do it. So I had oh two copies. Gosh. One of them I've read, the other one's still in plastic. Like I just can't cut the book because it's so beautiful. All right. My number one, as we know, was Olivia Lang's Funny Weather Art in an Emergency. I just love these compressed, beautiful essays on art. On Agnes Martin, she writes, learning to withstand emptiness was her own specialty. Like, oh my God. Get like, get out of here with that good writing. Um, yeah, and that profile was gorgeous. It's really good. Yeah. On David Warnerovich. The word stitch is a double-edged prayer. It means the last bit of anything, the stigmatized say, or the devalued. And it means to join together, mend or fasten, a hope sharp enough to drive a needle through flesh. Criticism is an act of vulnerability, too. Like to like to look that closely and to bring inside, like not even bring your own, but to bring something else inside and to fill it and put it back out in language. It's it's a vulnerability when done Thank beautifully. You. Thank yeah. you for saying that. I really feel like she was vulnerable to these artists. Mm -hmm. Like she made herself vulnerable enough to like take in what they were so deeply about. Mm -hmm. This has been a real pleasure to. Has it been a talks. pleasure? <laughs> pleasure or has it been weird <laughs> maybe those are the same thing for yeah me. for us yeah, yeah for yeah. us yeah no but it's really i mean i always want to discuss my tops with you 
So, Aaron, this was a longer episode, and we have a little bit more to fact check. Okay? So we'll be tasky because your time is valuable, and you're heading toward New Year's. It's true, my favorite holiday. Um, so we talked about Alan Turing. Uh, we didn't say anything wrong about Turing, but I wanted just to give a little bit more detail. He was a code breaker, basically. He he broke like the unbreakable Enigma code and helped end uh, World War II um, sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was pardoned posthumously through the Royal Prerogative of Mercy is the name of this whatever, this process, under, under Prime Minister David Cameron in December 2013. Probably after they um, made the movie. They probably didn't even think about him again until the movie. I think that's right. I mean, he died in 1954, so it's like Bullshit. 60 years later. Bullshit. Yeah. Homosexual sex was illegal in Britain until 1967, but it was also mandatory practice at every boys' boarding school. And let's be real, it's a sin. So <laughs> <laughs> um, you're going to hell. So pet shop boys. Um, I uh, we talked about Anne Sexton, and I searched the complete poems. Mm-hmm. She uses the word exile six times in her complete poem. That's not really that much. It's not that much, but at the same time, tell me how many times you've used the word exile in any of your poems. True. True. I haven't. Yeah. The reboot of Sex in the City is called And Just Like That. And hopefully it's so bad that it's good. We talked about the Roman Catholic Church's condemnation of Galileo. Mm-hmm. Uh, that happened Galileo. in <laughs> Galileo. Uh, Galileo, which is my favorite, one of my favorite Indigo Girls Same, songs. same. God, so good. Yes. Well, they condemned uh, him and made, forced him to recant um, in 1633. <laughs> They are such hypocrites. And they fuck, know, they fuck listen, children and then everybody pretends like that's not happening. And like move the pedophiles around, right? Like just dealt them like, oh, like fucking poker. Oh, we'll just put this back in the deck, right? So 1633, they condemned Galileo, forced him to recant, right? In 1979, the Catholic Church established a commission to investigate whether or not Can't. Galileo should have been found guilty back in 1633. Do you know how long that commission had to deliberate? I can't even imagine how long. 13 years after its appointment, the commission brought the Pope a not guilty oh, finding. My- <laughs> I I got the spirit of the dialogue from the Designing Women episode called killing all the right people but that i quote in the show i got the spirit of that dialogue right but i didn't get the exact verbiage correct and so i've put that the i i linked to the scene in the show notes uh karen slaughter is an acclaimed storyteller and also the founder of the save the libraries project a nonprofit organization established to support libraries and library programming she lives in atlanta her novel Pieces of Her has been adapted for a Netflix series that wrapped filming in early 2021 and will star Tony Collette. I'm so there, 100%. I'm in. Yeah, I'm, I'm already popping the pop. 100%. Yeah. And that's all. Awesome. 
Hey everyone, uh, if you enjoyed today's show, please go to the Apple Store, search for our podcast, and leave a five-star review. And if you didn't, please remember, we're not for everyone. It's the final countdown. Do-do-do-do.